0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome once again to our study in the book of Romans. Uh, Tonight, we're going to be in chapter 4 and verses 13 through 15, and the title of our lesson is Heir of the World. Now, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about uh, what I refer to as the great exchange, and that is that Christ takes our sin on the cross, and then he gives us his uh, righteousness. It is this incredible thing, this great exchange that comes through faith apart from works. But it turns out that God, he is so gracious and so loving that he doesn't just stop there, that he has more uh, in store for us. Let's read tonight in verses 13 through 15. It says, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world Did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, at the very beginning of these verses, Paul talks about Abraham and his offspring. So who are the offspring of Abraham? Well, that's that's us, the people of faith. Paul makes this clear in Galatians 3.29. He says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So what Paul is talking about here tonight in these verses is directly about you and I, because we are the, the offspring of Abraham through faith. And what Paul says will happen to us is that you and I will inherit the world. Now, we don't talk about this a lot, probably don't hear a lot of sermons uh, or a a lot of things taught about it, but the Bible has always taught this concept of us inheriting the world, both in the Old Testament and the New. For example, Psalms 37 9 says, those who wait on the Lord will inherit the earth. Of course, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 5 says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, we're going to talk tonight about exactly what that means to inherit the, the world. But before we look at the what, I, I want to first look at the why and make sure we understand why we are going to inherit the world. Now to do that, I want to go back and I want to look at uh, the promises made to Abraham because this is, Paul refers to this, the promises made to Abraham and his offspring. So I want to go back and look at these specific promises, and one of the ones I want to look at is the promise of the land. In Genesis 17, 8, uh, God says to Abraham this, I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So God promises the physical land of Canaan, or the physical land of Israel, to Abraham's Physical descendants, the people of his bloodline, the the Jews, the 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 uh, the ones who are circumcised, and of course we know God has kept that promise. Even today, Jews are residing in the land of Israel. But here's the thing: I don't know if you knew this or not, but but Israel's very small. In fact, if you did the math, it could actually fit into the state of Florida eight times. I mean, that's how small it is. So. Is that what God meant? Was that the fulfillment of the promise?s that they would just get this little tiny land over in the Middle East? Well, there were always hints uh, in the Old Testament that God meant much more than this physical land. For example, in Genesis 17:4 through6, God tells Abraham, "You shall be the father of many nations. In fact, he changes his name from Abram, to Abram, Ham, which means the father of many nations. So, obviously, something else had to be going on. You don't fit many nations into this uh, small piece of property that's one eighth the size of, of Florida. And even in the Old Testament, we can see that people understood that that physical land was not the complete fulfillment of the promise. For example, Hebrews eleven thirteen through sixteen says this talking about Old Testament saints, "...these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, but now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city." For them so paul uh, the the writer of Hebrews here is telling us that even in the Old Testament, these Old Testament saints understood that the fulfillment of the promise wasn 't just about a a piece of property here on this earth that God had something heavenly, God had something spiritually uh, in store for them, and that 's what they were looking forward to now. How is this promise uh fulfilled? well, you see Paul understood something that Abraham could not understand at the time. Abraham really, when you think about it, was an amazing man. God promised him all this stuff and Abraham had no idea. He had no clue how God was going to bring it about. He just believed and God counted that faith as his righteousness. But here's Paul some centuries later and he's able to see things that Abraham could never see. And what Paul understands is that any promises made to Abraham, and by the way, any promises made to his offspring, are going to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 8, 6 says this, talking about Jesus, He has obtained a more excellent ministry as inasmuch as He is a mediator of a better covenant, which is established on better promises. 2 Corinthians 1, says this, for all the promises of God find their yes or their fulfillment in him. So any promise to Abraham, any promise to to Abraham's offspring, are going to find their fulfillment, their yes, in Jesus Christ. He's going to make these promises better. In fact, what this does through Jesus is these promises are supercharged, if you will. They will be fulfilled in ways that Abraham could never have even Dream, for example, God promises Abraham and his offspring this little land of Canaan, right? This little little piece of property. But man, Jesus is the Lord of all nations. He's the Lord of all lands. He's the Lord of the universe. Philippians two ten says that At the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on the earth, and those under the earth. Psalms two eight, God says. Through the prophet, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your uh, possession. So, So one thing we have to understand about this promise to be heir of the world, it's going to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Now with that said, let's turn back to the second part of the question. What does it mean, actually mean, to be an heir of the world? Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says this, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. So the first thing we know about Jesus is he is the heir of all things. Now, Romans 8, 17 tells us this. Paul says, if we are children of God, then we also are heirs, Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now that is a mind-blowing concept. It's very difficult for us to even understand what that means that just as Christ is an heir, we also are our heirs. But Paul talks about this all the time. For example, 1 Corinthians 3, 21-23. Let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. So we've got this concept of everything belongs to us. Everything is is ours. Now, what does that mean today? Well, it means that right now in this present life, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Yes, all things are yours, but right now they're in a, in a trust, if you will. One, one day they actually will become ours in the age to come. Now let me give you an example of this. One of the most interesting examples is a parable that we find in Luke's gospel. And in this parable, Jesus is talking about being a steward. There's a parable of a master who, who leaves his uh, servants in charge of some things and he goes off and he comes back at a at a certain time. Now I want you to notice what Jesus says in Luke 16, 12. He says this, if you have not been faithful in that which is another's. See what Jesus is doing in this parable is treating our possessions, our homes, our cars, our our salaries, our our properties, whatever we have, it's it doesn't belong to us. We're just a trustee. We're just a a servant, a manager, a steward, over God's possessions. Everything belongs to Him. Our responsibility is to manage God's things for God's purposes. And by the way, that should govern every decision we make about what to do with God's things. But in the age to come, in the resurrection, notice what Jesus says in that same verse. If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? See, the fact is, right now we're just stewards, we're managers, we're trustees, but in the age to come, you will be given what belongs to you. You will inherit something that is now your own. So let's talk a little bit about this age to come. When I was a kid, and and if you've listened to my teaching for very long, I'm sure you've heard me say this, I remember thinking very distinctly that I didn't really want to go to heaven. Now, it's not that I want to go to hell; that was a bad alternative. But heaven just seemed like the lesser of two evils, if you will. And what I mean by that, it just seemed boring. My my concept of heaven came from cartoons, it came from comic books, it, it came from everywhere but the Bible, and nobody ever really taught me uh, about heaven. So my concept was just this angel sitting on a cloud, playing a harp, being bored for eternity. And that just again didn't want to go to hell. But that didn't seem like a great option uh, either. So time came in my life where I began to study about heaven and, and ask the question from Scripture, what is, what is heaven really going to be like? And it turns out that the Bible has an awful lot to say uh, about heaven. The first thing it tells us is that we are going to live on a new earth. Second Peter 3.10 says this, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Isaiah 65.17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Romans 8.21 says, The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Revelation 21.4, He who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. So God is going to remake, recreate this earth. It, it, none of the bad, no bond, no, none of the bondage to decay that it experiences today. And, and there is going to be a completely new earth. Now one of the great things about it that I never understood as a kid is that we will live here on this earth, I remember years ago I, I was working with a youth group and I, I did an experiment one time. I just said, "Hey, I want you to go and design heaven. Just just design what your idea of heaven would would be like. And I remember, of course, kids, teenagers, they're gonna heaven's gonna be roller coasters and 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 you know skittles on every corner They'd free skittles and things like that. But the point I wanted to make to them is that when we decide design heaven, It's all based around what we know on earth. If you think about heaven, you may think of flowers and waterfalls and beautiful grasses. and You may think of things, but they're all about this earth. You see, we were built to live here on this earth. We were made to live here on this earth. And for eternity, this is exactly where we will live. The difference is God will live here with us. Revelation twenty one three says this, The tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. Revelation 21.22 says, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Isn't that amazing? You know, today we go to church and, and churches, depending on denominations, can have these pictures they have these signs hanging up they remind us to God to draw our uh, attention back to God we don't need that in heaven we don't need that on the new earth because God himself will be here uh, with us revelation two five says this there shall be no night there but you won't need a lamp or light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light revelation 7:16 they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore the sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. The other thing about this new earth that the Bible tells us is there going to be a city there that we refer to as the new Jerusalem. Revelation 21, 10-16 And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and as high as it is long. 12,000 stadia is about 1,363 miles. If you drew that as a square, it would basically encompass about half of the United States. Now, think about that. That is one city. But here's the interesting thing. Not only is it 1,363 miles uh, wide, it's also 1,363 miles high. It's not just a two-dimensional square; it's a three-dimensional cube. Now, that's mind-blowing. How does that work? Well, again, it's a new earth. We're not restricted by the things that we're restricted to here on this earth, and so again, it's just going to be something like we've never seen uh, before. There will be things here that are on this new earth that just will not be exactly like it is here today. For example, Revelation twenty-one thirteen. The streets of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Revelations twenty one twenty one. the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. Now, years ago I remember reading this and I thought, you know, I'm not a big fan of gold. Um, you know, I don't really, you know, I, I don't know if I want my streets to be gold and my gates to be pearls. I don't really mean a lot to me. But I realized one day I was missing the point. The, the point here is the fact, think about an earth, think about a world Where the most expensive, the most valuable thing we have, which is gold, is used to pave our roads. Think about a world where, for example, in 2016, the world's largest pearl was discovered in the Philippines. It was 75 pounds. It's two foot by one foot. It's worth a $100 million. In that new city, there will be 12 gates and each one of them is carved of a single pearl. Each one. I mean, can you imagine a world that produces pearls like that? That's the point. Revelation 22.1, he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. Revelation 22.2, in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was a tree of life whose leaves were for the healing of the nations. Now, one of the big questions I often get about heaven or about living on this new earth is what will we uh, do there? Well, I believe that in paradise, there is going to be a special place for each one of us. Jesus said in John fourteen two, In my Father's house are many mansions. That Greek word means rooms or, or dwelling places. It, 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 the idea, I, I believe, is that each one of us will have a dwelling place, an area specifically for us and, and designed for us. And in some capacity, we will serve God. Revelation 22, 3, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. So there will be things for us to do. We will have responsibilities there. Matthew twenty five twenty five. his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Revelation 21.3 says they shall reign forever and ever. 1 Corinthians 6.2-3, Paul says, Do you not know that saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life. Revelation 3.21 says the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. In some sense that I can't explain, we will share the kingly rule and ownership of this world along with Christ. I I don't understand that. All I know is in that Christ will lose nothing, and we will gain everything. In, In this new earth, there will be no more bad, only good. Revelation 21.4, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, for all those things have passed away. Isaiah 51.11 describes it like this, They will enter Zion with singing, and everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. There's something about this this is so hard for us to understand to be honest because there, there's not really a day that goes by where we are would i think any of us would say we got perfect joy there's always you know there's always some sadness for those that have that that maybe are have passed on before us or 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 maybe are not living the way they should there's always something in this world to dampen that down, but in that new age in that new earth. Everlasting joy will crown our heads. In fact, I love what it says. Gladness and joy will overtake you. It'll run you down. Psalm 1611 describes it this way. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. No boredom. You will never get bored. I don't know how that's possible, to be quite honest with you, but at your right hand are pleasures forever. And on and on and on and on. But all of that is wonderful. All of that is great. But what is the greatest thing? John describes it like this in Revelations 22.4. They will see his face. C.S. Lewis has a quote that uh, I've always loved. He said this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You know, as I said earlier, in this life, even as Christians, even belonging to Christ and 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 being his, there's always it always comes up just a hair short, right? We're not there's not always full joy and full happiness. There's always that world that we live in of degradation and decay. But the fact is, one day we will see him. And on the day that we'll see him, we will finally know the fulfillment of all that longing that we've always felt on the inside. On that day, we'll finally know, oh, this is what I was made for. This is what I was created for. Now, I want to close with one question. What difference should all of this make in our lives today? Well, you know, some people say that heaven is an illusion and that uh, this, this earth is the only reality. But I'm here to tell you the exact opposite is true. Living life as if you own everything, living life as if this is all there is, living life as if you are in complete control. Let me tell you folks, that is an illusion. Heaven is is real. And because it's real, because there is an age to come, it should dictate how we live our lives. Uh the apostle Peter leaves us with this encouragement in Second Peter three, eleven through fourteen. He says, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth that he's promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. You know, we live in a life, as I just said, of degradation and a world of degradation and decay. And because of that, there are many fears. And these things are are real, the anxieties that we experience. But let me tell you, as you live this life, let the ground under your feet be the rock of this great promise that God made to Abraham and his descendants, of which we are. I, I will one day, Inherit the world. I've got a picture on the screen there of the, of my, my rope analogy that I've used several times. And if you will, just picture a, a white rope that you could go buy at Ace or Walmart at 50 feet or 100 feet or 200 feet long. And just, just if you will, just imagine that that rope represents eternity. Our life on this earth is just a small little red piece of tape that takes up maybe a half an inch at the beginning of that. That's all this 70 years or 80 years or 90 years is going to be. There is an eternity. There is an age to come waiting on the other side. C.S. Lewis said this. I've already used one of his quotes. I'll use, it. I'll use one more. He said this. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. You will inherit the earth. But aim at earth and you'll get neither one. Let's pray. Father. Lord, thank you for this great encouragement in Romans 4. I thank you, Lord, that even though I my mind can't grasp it, even though I can't mentally understand what it all means, there is so much there. There are so many promises there of what awaits me on the other side. And like Abraham those years ago, who could not understand how it was going to happen, but yet he believed. God, help me believe help us believe we can't process it we can't figure out how a how a city can be as high as it is wide as it is long we can't process that but help us like abraham to believe anyway just because you are the one telling us that that's how it's going to be what a great encouragement it is god help us live lives with that in mind help us to 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 be a people that that knowledge affects how we live today and we'll give you the praise in your son's name. Amen.